You're listening to 91.7 FM, WSUW, in Whitewater, Wisconsin. You're listening to WSUW, 91.7 FM. This is Rashkin Report, and I'm your host, Yuri Rashkin. On today's program, conversation about the relationship between Orthodox Church and the alt-right. I'm excited to be welcome uh, to welcome to the program Friar Herbal, who is an independent scholar and a full-time chaplain serving the Air National Guard, and also Inga Leonova, who is the editor of the Orthodox journal The Wheel and college instructor of religion studies, as well as a professional architect. Welcome to the program. Hello. Well, let's uh, let's start uh, by kind of setting out what we're talking about here. Um, it seems like there's a possibly even a long-standing relationship between uh, Orthodox Church and alt-right. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and fill us in? Well, um, I would start. I'm not I'm not sure that you can put it quite in these terms. Uh, I would say that. Uh, it is probably a sad reality that the uh, Orthodox believers of the more conservative persuasion are sometimes attracted to the uh, alt-right policy, politics, but also that uh, the alt-right who are looking for a religious home tend to find it in uh, some form in the Orthodox Church. But it's not exactly... Uh, a long-standing relationship. It seems to me that it is more of uh, a very loud and um, uh, publicly known, but an aberration. How long has uh, the relationship been? It's obviously not formal. There's no signed agreements. It just seems like the some of the representatives of alt-right, um, including the one mentioned in the story here in Religion Dispatches from uh, a few days ago, uh, how Orthodox Christianity became spiritual home of white nationalism. Uh, speaking about Matthew Heimbach, and uh, I'm sure there's, you know, at least the article is anyway, so there's many others um, that have found a home and communion at uh, Antiochian Orthodox Christian archdiocese. And, uh, and I think we, we just don't hear much about um, Orthodox Christian belief much of anything um you know because unless you're in an area where it is particularly strong so if you could talk about that relationship whether it is new official unofficial old new however father oliver do you want to take this yeah sure i'll I'll go for that i wasn't sure if he was um continuing as a follow-up to you i guess um I would say it's probably a well-established relationship uh, to some degree. Um, if you look at both Europe and America, certainly Europe, um, uh, right-wing uh, populist movements are popular. Um, and I think that this is sort of orthodoxy's uh, version thereof. But one of the things I would point out from the out- outset is I would be careful to distinguish Heimbach and the so-called traditional youth group that he's part of and white supremacists uh, and alt-right, because alt-right is such a broad category, certainly to the right, certainly conservative, but I wouldn't want us to paint everybody who would claim to be alt-right 
with a white supremacist brush either. Um, what I found troubling about the Heimbach case at the time was simply uh, two things. One, that he found that white supremacy uh, uh, seemed to cohere with orthodoxy as he understood it, which is not how I understand orthodoxy, nor how I think most American Orthodox understand orthodoxy. And then the second thing with the larger ecclesiastical concern, the concern that you had silence uh, initially on the part of the bishop and um, uh, other clergy within the church. And on the one hand, I sort of get it. It's, um, I think, normal for people in churches to get embarrassed to not want to call attention to themselves when it may be negative attention. On the other hand, I don't get it. <laughs> um, and I think that we need to be willing to call something out um, when it's uh, starting to gain a foothold within the church and, and it's something that isn't healthy. And I would say that about any institution, not simply um, a church. Uh, so, you know, that was when I engaged Heimbach and his movement, that's where I was coming at it from, uh, not at, uh, from any kind of um, professional position in terms of where I am uh, as a chaplain, but um, I can't speak for the DOD or the government on this issue, but I can certainly say that as an Orthodox priest and an Orthodox Christian at the time, I found it, and still find it very disturbing. What was your experience of interacting with the Heimbach movement? or organization or whatever. Well, you know, it, it, yeah, it, I mean, it's kind of a group of colleagues, or, you know, if you, I guess, or friends, or I'm not sure what else to call them. Um, it's very odd. Uh, you know, you get a lot of hate email, a lot of um, nasty comments, some of which, you know, I didn't post on the blog. Uh, and that's that was actually my general experience with that. Um, as far as how they responded, they tended to go right to the ad hominem. Uh, they wouldn't get into any um, historical or ethical discussion of the issue. Uh, they just wanted to, you know, kind of make fun of me or, or other people. A very childish behavior, honestly. Um, and within the church, I would say, you know, uh, it took a couple of days, but eventually there was a, a posting on the website of the parish and um, a, letter, a letter from the bishop. Uh, but sadly, it, it only came after there was a little bit of an internet outcry. Um, hopefully in the future, we can maybe change that. Where did they come from? And uh, how many people are in the group, even approximately? Are we talking about five or 500? Or? That, that's, I think, a very good question, and I was never clear on that. Um, it seems to be a small group, but yet they seem to get a lot of traction, from what I can tell, uh, within the larger white supremacist uh, uh, groups nationally. Inga, what, what was your experience of that or your perception? Uh, Southern Poverty Law Center did uh, a very in-depth research into this group. Uh, it does not appear to be very numerous uh, itself, that trad youth group that uh, we were engaging at the time. And I would like to actually point out that uh, this whole uh, event with the Orthodox reception and the um, outcry that it provoked was in 2014, so this has been going on for a while. And at that time, uh, there were maybe a few dozen people in the group, but they do seem to have very uh, far-reaching connections to the wider movement. Uh, 
Matthew Heimbach claims endorsement by uh, David Duke. Uh, in uh, this year, they have become very prominent during the um, uh, Trump rallies. Apparently, there is a larger umbrella right now, which is the uh, white traditionalist workers movement. So uh, while you know nobody seems to be taking uh, public uh, t taking stock of their numbers publicly and publishing it anywhere. Uh, I have the impression that uh, there are different groups merging under uh, Heimbach's banners. Uh, Friar Herbal, um, Inga, if you if you could uh, explain to me, I'm seeing that there is one uh, on on one side. You know, it takes two to tango. On one side, you have a group of uh, Matthew Heimbach. On the other, or, or other white nationalists. On the other hand, you have Orthodox Church, and there's 15 of them, as far as I can tell. Um, did, is this a, a relationship that uh, developed by uh, the white nationalist? Is this the relationship that was somehow supported by an Orthodox Church, one of the 15, or all of them? Um, and, uh, you know, is, is this... Uh, where, where does the energy come from there? It's, it's an excellent question, which I think doesn't have a simple answer. Uh, Heimbach uh, has made it his ideology that orthodoxy, orthodox faith, uh, supports uh, the ideology of white supremacism because it supports... Uh, uh, the separation of various uh, ethnic churches along ethnic and national lines. This is a, an extremely simplistic uh, perception of uh, orthodox organization, but unfortunately it does have a lot of traction in the orthodox world, and we can see it in the situation of jurisdictional disunity in North America, which is... Uh, you know, one country, and yet we have uh, all the Orthodox ethnic jurisdictions represented here that are having a very hard time coming together. So he, uh, I think, found uh, a home because there is a an inherent love of this sort of ethnic ghetto separation between the Orthodox groups. Uh, there's also, uh, it, it's not a very... Uh, politically correct thing to say, but uh, it's just the empirical evidence of uh, considerable uh, racism in American Orthodox circles. So that may be one of the reasons why the uh, American bishops as a group were reluctant to come out and condemn this movement outright and just left it to the local bishop to deal with the local problem, uh, because frankly, some of the Orthodox churches may be in some ways sympathetic to these ideas of racial segregation within the Orthodox Church uh, and the ethnic segregation within the church. Yeah, I, I think your question is is really insightful here, Yuri. Um, I have a different experience of American Orthodoxy and and. Um, uh, than, than Inga, I don't see as much um, as the racism as she 
she has encountered. But but I do think that Matthew Heimbach certainly, um, you know, when you get into the whole two, it takes two to tangle issue, it raises several different dimensions. One is you run the risk of giving him more press by doing a show such as this, and yet, on the other hand, we, we need to, right? I mean, that's the irony here. Um, but then also with the whole two to tango aspect, I think Inga's uh, correct to say that um, basically Heimbach and, and his supporters would use the multi-jurisdictional reality in America as a way to bolster their position and say, well, see, look, you're divided amongst uh, ethnic lines. And, of course, they would conflate ethnicity and race, uh, which itself is questionable. But but they would say, see, look, you're, you're, you're divided amongst ethnic lines. Therefore, um, Orthodox theology supports uh, our view in wanting a, a white supremacist expression of orthodoxy also. Um, and as Inga is also correct to point out, the reality on the ground is so much more complex than that. So here in Fargo, our church, for example, it's anecdotal, but I think a good anecdote. Here in Fargo, our church is um, part of the OCA, which has its roots in, originally in the Russian mission to North America. And and yet this is not a primarily Russian church uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, in fact, uh, you know, our Russian contingency is extremely small in our parish. Uh, but we have a wide variety of ethnic backgrounds and a wide variety of racial backgrounds, frankly, as well. Um, so, you know, we have qu- quite a few with African heritage in our church. So it's, um, you know, it's actually much more complicated on the ground than what Heimbach would uh, like to uh, suggest. And so he, it's a very simplistic reading. Um, it's really an, uh, an eisegesis. He's reading his own perspective into Orthodox history and theology and claiming it's there when in fact it's, it's really not. There are um, certainly always going to be people who are uh, who um, are tempted by the sin of racism. Um, so I, I would have Agree that Inga has a point that there are certainly racists within our church. I may not have encountered as many as she, but but they're there. So I, I get it. Um, Heimbach can certainly latch onto those people as well. But I think the overall biggest takeaway for me is that if you look at American Orthodoxy, we tend to attract a lot of converts uh, because America, especially American Protestantism, has a history of restorationism, trying to restore that primitive church. And and I think we need to understand that Heimbach is a, is a, and his supporters, they, they represent a very small subset of that. Um, but that means two things. One, it means this is not the first and, and it won't be the last time it happens. Um, and and it also means that we as Orthodox Christians in America need to face up to what it is that is attracting people to our church. And then we need to take that and try to shape that, try to help direct that narrative. Restorationism is going to attract converts to Orthodoxy, whether we want it to or not. And so I think the real question is, are we going to help shape that restorationist impulse? Are we going to address that as Orthodox Christians want to or Protestant Christians want to come in and become Orthodox Christians. How are we going to address that? This is a real question for uh, the seminaries, for the clergy and the priests out there, uh, for um, the uh, lay uh, council members and lay leaders within our parish. How are we going to address this restorationist impulse when it uh, steps into our front door at the nave of the church? Because it's going to. Uh, Father Herbal, uh, actually, uh, underscored something that I started out with that 
in in the broad orthodox reality somebody like uh, Mr. Heimbach and his movement really are a form of an aberration the uh, perversion of you know the narrative of the gospel and the perversion of the narrative of the bible are as old as the narratives themselves uh, what concerns me greatly is precisely what Father uh, Oliver was referring to, and that is that uh, the Orthodox Church is a hierarchical church, which is based on the principle that the hierarchs, our bishops, uh, do underscore uh, the ethic of Orthodoxy and uh, are called upon to, and we actually mentioned it every liturgical service, to rightly divide the word of truth, which is which means that it is incumbent upon them to remind people what the uh, essence of the uh, Christian uh, Orthodox teaching is, and to not address things that come up, like uh, the rise of nationalism, uh, that really does happen all around the world. I mean, think of the Golden Greece in uh, uh, Golden Dawn in Greece, which did find a home in the Orthodox Church, or the uh, nationalist anti-Semitist groups in Romania, in Serbia, and in Russia that also have seen the rise in the later years. To not come out and as as a group, as synods and speak on those issues, I think, is a great uh, mistake. And I think that that really creates a problem where uh, these groups do feel that they're welcome, as opposed to being simply self-supporting and self-asserting. You're listening to WSUW 91.7 FM, The Edge in Whitewater, Wisconsin. This is Rashkin Report, and I'm your host, Yuri Rashkin. Uh, in today's program, my guests are Fire Herbal, who is an independent scholar and a full-time chaplain serving the Air National Guard, and also Inga Leonova, who is the editor of the Orthodox Journal The Wheel and college instructor of religion studies and a professional architect. We're speaking about the relationship today between the alt-right um, and uh, white supremacists uh, and Orthodox churches. Um, it's... Uh, it's a sensitive subject because, as uh, Friar Herbal pointed out, um, on one hand, you don't want to publicize and promote uh, certain attitudes and point of view. On the other hand, um, I think transparency uh, creates more accountability. And so here we are. Um, peeling apart the, the layers of this onion, what I'd like to understand is that we're looking at um, you know, a, a version of uh, religious extremists. Or, or somebody who associates their extremism with religion. And the same way that when we look at uh, people of Muslim faith, um, we can say, well, this is not entirely how Islam is. This is just some extremists who found a perversion of the faith, and this is who they are. But it does create an impression in the minds of many, especially when perhaps you know exploited by politi uh, political leaders, that that's how religion is. Um, and the the main I think point there is is the as, as Inca point as you pointed out are they self sustaining or or do they have support from within the church and uh, in in the case of alt right uh, do you feel that they are out there in the wilderness saying we are 
orthodox and this is how orthodoxy is or do they enjoy uh, some measure of support and uh, what kind of support do they enjoy from orthodox churches? My impression, and it may not be accurate, but my impression is that they are out there in the wilderness and have found, you know, home in some of the more uh, extreme um, uh, parishes or, or even extreme clergy. But I may actually be wrong. Uh, I, I, I think that just based on my um, experience of American orthodoxy, this attitude that uh, Heimbach preaches within um, orthodoxy of the segregated church, and that is actually what he preaches. He doesn't uh, say that the that orthodoxy is for the whites. He actually he just preaches segregated orthodoxy. Black Christians should be with black Christians uh, in the black church, and white Christians should be in the white church. This is an attitude that does uh, have tacit uh, ideological support in, I think, very wide uh, orthodox circles. The activity of Heimbach's group, which is uh, at times violent and which does promote uh, and, uh, very, uh, you know, uh, white, true white supremacist values, is something that uh, people would be uh, and are, I think, uncomfortable in uh, aligning themselves with uh, officially and publicly. So after he has been excommunicated by the uh, Antiochian bishop, he had to go to Romania and uh, find a supporter there. And uh, unfortunately, right in the capital in Bucharest, uh, in a parish which is known to be associated with descendants of the Romanian Iron Guard, which is known as a Nazi group. Uh, but again, that's pretty far. What, as, as I said earlier, what I find very troubling is that even though it's not like his name has completely disappeared off the Orthodox radar in North America, the American bishops do not feel compelled to come together and speak on this uh, particular matter and on this particular group. And it's not like they don't come together on other issues, they're very quick on, on writing encyclicals against same-sex marriage. So they're perfectly capable of doing that. They're unwilling. And I think that creates, uh, maybe I'm overreaching here, but in my mind that creates a comfortable climate, if not real official support. Yeah, I think I think it certainly does create a more comfortable climate um, for such people because there is no such statement, um, and I, I would agree with Inga that the bishops certainly are capable of doing this. Um, we've done it on other issues, so why not this issue? Uh, especially um, given the fact that I do think this is a subset of the kind of conversion that we will continue to see in America because of the American context. So I don't think this is going anywhere. Uh, yes, the numbers may be small. Maybe we're talking a few hundred, a few thousand, what have you. But the fact that this is part of the American context and that it's going to continue, uh, I think, 
should give the bishops all the reason they need uh, to say something because it really does come down to who's going to define orthodoxy, who's going to define our church. Is the Orthodox Church going to speak up? As Inga said, we're hierarchical. Okay, so are we going to speak through our hierarchy to say, this is our theology, this is our history, or are we going to sit back and allow any restorationist group, including a white supremacist group, to come in and say, well, no, actually, this is how you guys always have been, and this this is the theology that you have. I, it, it really does start to become an identity issue of who is the church, what is the church. Uh, on, on that issue alone, I really don't think it should be that difficult for the bishops to get together and just put out a simple paragraph. I mean, this really isn't rocket science. Yes, and they do have something to fall back on. The um, article that you mentioned, Yuri, uh, by um, Catherine Kaleidis, did quote from the 1872 statement of the Pan-Orthodox Synod on uh, philatism, on the heresy of philatism. So they don't have to reinvent the wheel. They only have to reaffirm that uh, whereas, you know, orthodoxy is multifaceted, and as some people remind us, uh, baptism does not absolve you of sin forever because unfortunately we start sinning the moment we uh, step out of the of the font uh, there, there still is the true message of the gospel and we have to uh, perpetuate that message and our identity has to be in Christ and not, not in uh, ideologies no matter what the ideologies are so the reluctance to do that I think is uh, very problematic. And how do you uh, explain it? Well, I'm I, I'm being probably very cynical, but I do explain it by, uh, as I said earlier, that the uh, this does not seem to be a problem for uh, a lot of people who are in the church, and for certainly a lot of donors in the church. So. Uh, it is the boat that clearly our hierarchs are unwilling to rock. And I think I, ex- I tend to explain it as a perfect storm of different issues or different um, aspects. I think there are some people who are in parishes that, such as I've experienced um, and worshipped in where there is integration. And I think many of those people will look around and say, well, there is no problem. Let's just ignore it and it will go away. I suspect some of the some of the bishops probably have that mindset as well. Look, it's a small group. Let's just ignore it. It will go away. Um, of course, what I'm saying is that this is a subset of an, an American phenomenon, so it's not going away. Um, but then I, I do think that there are also some who are not necessarily sympathetic to what Heimbach is saying per se, but I think that there are some within our churches who are willing to look the other way because he does speak out on other political and social issues in a way that aligns with uh, more traditional teachings found within our church. And so sometimes I think they're willing to say, well, okay, we don't agree with him on this, but you know, it's a small group, and he's speaking out in other ways that we like, so let's look the other way. Regardless of how the different factors play out, to what degree Inga is correct, what degree I'm correct, the reality is this is not going away. 
it really would not take that much effort on the part of the bishops to do. And I think it would just be better if they did, in fact, cite, as Inga mentioned, the um, 1872 Council in Constantinople. And and even that didn't come out of nowhere. Ten years earlier, uh, Patriarch Joachim II, um, in 1862, commenting on the American Civil War, uh, mentioned that in, in an open letter that he hoped that the North would win. And, and precisely because of this racial issue. So it's not like even the 1872 uh, council came out of nowhere. Um, so I really do think she correct. We do have um, a historical theological foundation to fall back on to make a very simple statement and to make it clear that this simply is not the way we are. Christ died with both arms open. It's for every, the gospel's for everyone. It doesn't matter what your ethnic or racial heritage is. Uh, all are one in Christ, whether Greek, Jew, or Gentile, right? I mean, th- this, is, this is for everyone. And I really don't think this really should be that hard. Friar Herbal, you, you make several references to this is not going away. We need to stand up to this. What do you really mean when you say this? When when I say that uh, you broke up a little bit, but when you say when, when I say when that, you say when you say this is not going away, what 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 uh, is what is this that you really mean? Sure. It? Yeah. What what it really means is that you're you're not you will continue to see uh, non orthodox in America motivated by a restorationist impulse coming into orthodoxy, and that will include various subsets. Um, some will be rather, most will be rather mainstream, but you'll get, you will continue to see subsets that will take their own political ideology and apply that as part of um, restoring that original church, finding that true Christianity, finding that that New Testament church or ancient Christianity. We hear these different phrases thrown about. Um, and in fact, it's something that orthodoxy herself promotes, right? I mean, we can go online and quickly find websites and blogs that promote finding, quote, the New Testament church, finding, quote, mm-hmm. the ancient church. So we actually encourage Americans to do this. So we're encouraging them to do this. They already are doing this. So whenever you have a group of people who are going to say, well, my core values are found in this restored early ancient church, then out of that group, you're going to have a subset who are going to have core values that simply actually don't align with our church. And we need to have the courage and the backbone to stand up and say that. Uh, when 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 those situations arise, Friar Herbal, I know that you're speaking for yourself, but you, you are serving the Air National Guard. Um, can you share any? Uh, you, well, can you share your perspective on whether this type of mindset uh, is? I'm not going to say prevalent, but how present it is in the Air National Guard. Oh, it's really not an issue for us. I mean, the the military is typically on the forefront. Actually, people may not think think of it this way, but we're often on the forefront, actually, of uh, social values and you know, um, uh, integration uh, happened quite a while ago in the military. Um, so it's really not it's not an issue for us. Um, and I think, in many ways, uh, for me personally. Uh, this is part of what I may, and this is my own internal trigger, but I'll admit to it you know, publicly that internally it does trigger me a little bit. It does disappoint me that I can be serving in a military 
that has long ago addressed the issue of integration, and and it's not an issue. Uh, and yet, I have a church in which uh, we're willing to look the other way, or in some cases, uh, maybe just try to pretend it doesn't exist. This is a reality, and um, it you know it would be nice to see the church uh, catch up to the Air National Guard on this issue. As we're wrapping up our conversation with Far Herbal and Inglionova, um, your closing thoughts as uh, believers of Orthodox faith on the development between, uh, you know, the, the relationship or the the pool between the white nationalists and the Orthodox Church. How do you, as two believers, feel about this? Well, I uh, think that I would like to repeat that. Uh, it is imperative to, for the church to address uh, various forms of uh, departure from the gospel that arise in her midst. And sometimes uh, she's quick and expedient in doing that, but at other times she's not. And uh, this case is the case when uh, she's not. And uh, we do have stories from people uh, of uh, other ethnicities or other races who feel uh, uncomfortable or even told that they do not belong uh, in the Orthodox Church. You know, we have, I've encountered some people, um, especially coming from the parishes in the South, who have been told outright that uh, uh you know, black people have their own Baptist churches, and it's unclear what they're doing uh, coming into the Orthodox Church. And so this is a very, very real issue. And I think that uh, sometimes, oftentimes, the Orthodox are reluctant to enter the political fray, so to speak, but I think there are some times when it is absolutely expedient upon us to do that and to do that as a group as opposed to just, you know, high-minded individuals. And in America, we have uh, precedent of that with uh, the late uh, Greek Archbishop Yakovos marching with Martin Luther King on Selma and speaking at the rallies, which incidentally got him into a lot of trouble with the um, Greek Orthodox in the South and uh, created lots of long-term problems for him. But he did that. He was the head of the most, um, uh, the, the largest Orthodox jurisdiction in North America. And I think that uh, today, now, there's a time when we have, uh, we're witnessing the change of the political regime uh, which capitalized on the issues of uh, the separation from the other, on the idea of uh, the Muslims being the enemy, the uh, Ill uh, illegal immigrants from the South, the Mexicans and the Latin Americans being the enemy. Uh, so this is, as I think Father Herbal mentioned, uh, the term a perfect storm. And in this perfect storm, we have to witness not only as uh, Orthodox Christians in uh, the world Orthodoxy, but also as Orthodox Christians who are American citizens 
faced with American problems. So that's kind of my take on this. And I would, I would say that for me as a believer, as an Orthodox Christian, um, the issue hits me at a at a level at which we're not addressing a larger issue, even an issue larger than than what um, Heimbach and white supremacy or church segregation raises, um, as bad as and important as that issue is. But we have a larger problem in American orthodoxy, maybe worldwide orthodoxy, certainly here in America, problems of um, transparency, problems of self-critique, problems of um, willing or... I guess just a general unwillingness to to look ourselves in the mirror. And I think that um, to the degree that we are successful in changing on that, to the degree that we start looking ourselves in the mirror, that we start allowing internal self-critique on different things, to that degree, we will end up addressing this. Um, This is just a subset of that larger problem in American orthodoxy. And my hope and my prayer is that the church actually starts to to do that. Um, I think there have been small strides made during my lifetime. Uh, the OCA uh, several years ago had to deal with some internal problems and did so. I got very public online. Although it bothered many people, I thought, thank God, we're finally doing a little bit of this. Um, I really think that's, as a believer, that's the real issue. Is the church willing to simply take an honest look in the mirror and to remember that our sins are covered not by how well we can sweep things under the rug, but by the blood of Christ? It's it's really that simple. I agree, agree wholeheartedly. That's very well put. Father Herbel serving with Air National Guard and Inga Leonova, editor of Orthodox our journal, The Wheel. Thank you so much for being on Rashkin Report. Really appreciate your being part of this conversation. And uh, perhaps we'll need to continue this in the future. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. You're listening to 91.7 FM, WSUW, in Whitewater, Wisconsin. You're listening to Rashkin Report.